the passage that we are going to uh, look at today. So if you would, would you rise? This is Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning. Well, uh, one of my favorite parts about living in the city of Manhattan um, is that if you're about a 10-minute drive in any direction from being in the middle of uh, what Kansas City folk like me would say, the middle of nowhere, um, open grassland, open prairie, I mean, just pick any of the uh, major highways outside of town, drive 10 minutes, and you'll be kind of out in the middle of this open grassland, and it's beautiful. I love it out there, and uh, you can actually get out there away from the light pollution of the city, and the stars, they shine with just a beauty and a clarity, especially on a clear night, um, that is just impossible uh, not to notice. And my wife and I, we would actually do this occasionally, pre-kids on our date nights, we would just drive out, nowhere to go, no, nothing in mind. We would drive out and we'd find, hopefully not private property, um, but uh, just a side road, and we would just stargaze together. Um, and we loved looking at the stars, and we would just worship God together as we looked at the stars and the, the brilliance of them all. God is so good in giving us those things. Well, today's passage, the Apostle Paul makes the observation that we live in a warped and crooked generation. Now, a warped and crooked generation is not a criticism or a jab on any specific person or group of people. A warped and crooked generation is simply a designation for a world that is trying to do life without God. It is a broken and oftentimes dark world because of sin. The world was marred by sin in Paul's day, and the world is marred by sin in our day as well. And this picture of shining like stars in the sky is the same picture that Paul uses when describing the kind of people that we are to be in this world marred by sin, the kind of lives that we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And there are plenty of reasons for us to become discouraged, whether it is war, injustice or inflation or any other host of problems there are plenty of reasons for us to grumble and to argue to blend into the culture around us and oftentimes that is what we do isn't it on social media on the news in our workplaces 
and our classrooms. We fight one another and we complain about how bad things are. And far too easily, we as Christians, who are supposed to be the light of the world, get caught up in it. And I know that I have. Have you? But God has another purpose in mind for those who are disciples of Jesus. He tells us, Paul tells us, that in obedience to God, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling so that we would shine like stars among the sky. As believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're to hold firm the hope held out to us in the gospel, rejecting the ways of this world, and thus shine like stars in the sky amongst the watching world. This is God's good purpose for us, for his people. Today's passage is going to show us how that is going to happen. How do we actually shine like stars in the sky? First, the Apostle Paul gives us a command. He tells us that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And second, he gives us two means for how we're actually going to do this. How do we work out our salvation? By forsaking grumbling and arguing and then holding firm the word of life. And then lastly, Paul is going to give us the reward that we can expect if we actually do these things, which is joy. So first, let's look at Paul's command to work out our salvation in verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul begins by encouraging the Philippians. He affirms their past obedience. As you have always obeyed, he says. So he's not rebuking the Philippians for disobedience. Rather, he's encouraging them that as they have always obeyed, they are to continue to do so even though he is not physically present with them. If you recall getting a little bit older, maybe your mom or dad left the house. What was the temptation? <laughs> do everything they, you weren't supposed to do when they were there. Paul's telling the Philippians, that's not to be the case with you. Even though I am not with you, you are to be even more obedient. And what does this obedience look like? What does Paul tell them to do? They are to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. This is the command gave the, Paul gave the Philippians as well as us today. And so what does it look like to work out our salvation it is important to note before we go any further, Paul is not referring here to working, uh, to earning our salvation. There's a differentiation between working out and working for. Rather, Paul is referencing a salvation that is growing, a salvation that is maturing, that the truths and the realities of our saved status as children of God permeating every part of who we are. Biblical salvation is not just a ticket into heaven, but a daily reality. In calling us to work out our salvation on earth, Paul is encouraging us to mature, to grow up. Paul begins this section of the letter with therefore, and everything Paul is telling us is rooted in the passage preceding it. If you remember uh, a little over a month ago, uh, Pastor Steve preached on this passage, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And I want to go back to this a little bit later in our time together. Uh, but for now, this passage, which is often known as the Christ hymn, is where Paul tells us 
that we are to have the same mind as Christ. That is humility. To work out our salvation is to grow in humility. It is to grow in the mind, the humility of Christ. And he tells us how we are to do this in verse 13. He says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So fear and trembling implies a posture of reverence and dependence. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is something that ultimately depends on God, not anything that we can conjure up on our own. We have to start here, and it's a good place to start. In cooperation with the indwelling Holy Spirit, we put in effort to grow in the mind and humility of Christ, but it is God who puts that desire within us, and it is God who works in us to accomplish this will through obedient action. It is impossible to, I would say nearly maybe impossible, to grow in anything when we are proud and arrogant. If we approach God with this mindset that we're kind of doing okay without him, we will be stunted in our maturity. But when we understand that we are poor and needy and that that need can only be fulfilled by someone else, namely God, our creator, then and only then are we at a place where growth can actually happen in our lives. So the posture needed for a maturing salvation is fear and trembling, reverence and dependence, respect for who God is and an understanding of our need for him. We will not shine like stars if we are not reverent before God and dependent upon him for our growth. So these verses are encouraging to me for two reasons. One, maturing in salvation can and should be a reality for all believers. You, myself, we can grow in the Lord. Like that is a gift of grace to me. And the second reason that it's encouraging to me is that God wants to do this work in us. Paul says at the end of verse 13 that it's according to his good purpose. We don't have to twist God's arm here to help us in our growing up in our salvation. He wants us to grow in the character and the mind of Christ more than we do. And this reality alone should begin to flicker the light within us. So it's encouraging for me, and that's really good news for all of us. But what does this practically look like? Paul does not give us this command to work out our salvation and leave us wondering what it looks like on a daily basis. How do we actually work out our salvation with fear and trembling? He gives us what we need in verses 14 through 16. This is the means for how we work out our salvation. He says in 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So the first thing Paul tells us to do in working out our salvation is to reject grumbling and arguing. This verse harkens back to Deuteronomy 32.5, when the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, 
Moses, their leader, condemns them by calling them a warped and crooked generation. And why is this? He calls them this because though they had witnessed firsthand God's faithfulness in providing for them in the desert for 40 years, they continued to grumble and argue. They missed it. They were no different than the peoples and the nations surrounding them. They grumbled against Moses, their leader. They grumbled against one another. And ultimately, they grumbled against God. Thus, God, through the prophet Moses, actually denounces them as his children. In Deuteronomy 32, 5, he says, They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. How's that for a verdict? But notice the difference in what Paul says to the Philippians. He calls them to become children of God without fault. So in referencing the disobedience of Israel in the desert, Paul is warning the Philippian church and us not to be like them and thus disqualify ourselves as God's children. Rather, we are to pursue blamelessness and purity in our lives, thus affirming our identity as God's children. Grumbling and arguing are stumbling blocks to our growth in Jesus, to the watching world. But blamelessness and purity, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, who doesn't want to be considered blameless and pure? I know I do. Perhaps this is stating the overly obvious, but grumbling and arguing actually does us no good in our lives. But we go there so often, don't we? I know I do. It's kind of this idea of this, just this captivity of self-entitlement, this captivity of self-entitlement that we often feel. It's a, it's a byproduct of that. We grumble and argue because we feel entitled to something. The Israelites felt they deserved better, and so do we. So often, we're selfish. And the more selfish we are, the more miserable we are, almost 100% of the time. It is the major theme of sin in the Bible. The captivity of self-entitlement brings no joy. It contributes absolutely nothing to our growth in maturity and salvation, but only hinders it. And it leads us to grumble. It leads us to argue with one another. Listen, I have always regretted my moments in my life where I have grumbled and argued. And I'll tell you, ask my wife, they are many, <laughs> too many to count. I've always regretted them. Never once have I looked back on those moments and thought to myself, yep, that was a good idea. Really, I want to do that again. That really served me in a lot of ways and the people around me. No, I never thought that. On the opposite side, by God's grace, the moments that I have chosen in humility and servanthood, the people to serve the people in my life, those are moments that I have never, never regretted. I have never regretted moments when I've chosen to think less about myself and what I deserve or think I deserve and more about the good of others for the glory of God. You see, God is inviting us into a better way as his children. 
It is a way that leads to life. Grumbling and arguing does nothing but turn off the lights of the church to the world. It does nothing to help us shine like stars. It is the opposite of it. But what are we to do instead? If grumbling and arguing are off the table, what alternative do we have? Paul gives us the answer in verse 16. Paul tells us that we don't simply passively reject grumbling and arguing. Rather, we actively hold on to the word of life. He says in the end of 15, the beginning of 16, says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly the word of life. Paul tells us that we are to hold firm the word of life. And the word of life here is simply the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember back in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 that I referenced earlier and that Steve preached on a couple weeks ago. I just want to read that for us right now. Verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what we hold on to. That is our alternative to grumbling and arguing. The humility of Jesus. We hold on to that gospel resolutely. Why? Because the world is warped and crooked and the gospel of Jesus is its only hope. The warped and crooked generation around us, it's going to do everything it can to strip away our hope. It's going to do everything in its power to give us a reason to grumble, to feel entitled, to argue, to invite us in. Do you feel that? Like I know I do all the time. The bait is there, isn't it? And what does Paul ask us to do here? He says, hold firm the word of life. Jesus, your Savior, everything that he taught, everything that he did, everything he stood for, his kindness, his compassion, his humility, his sacrificial love. Hold on to that. This is the only way you are going to shine like stars. We aren't going to get there by grumbling, not by arguing, only by believing and living the gospel. So a question that I want to pose for us today to wrestle with is what are you holding firm to these days? Is it the gospel or is it something else? What entitlements are holding you captive, leading to grumble and argue? Take a spiritual audit of your life. What are you holding firm to as the source of your hope and joy? It can be anything and we all have it. We all have it. Social status, image management, a political ideology, money, reputation, 
These are all things that cause fights and quarrels, aren't they? Either within our own souls or with those around us. And whatever it is, be honest with God and just bring it to him with humility and a heart to repent. The invitation is there for us today. Remember, it is God's good pleasure to see that we grow and mature in our salvation. Let go and surrender whatever it is that you are holding on to for hope and strength and hold on to the hope held out to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've got a command, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How do we do that? He gives us two things, to reject grumbling and arguing and to hold fast the gospel of Jesus Christ. And third, Paul gives us a reward for why we would do these things. What is the reward that we can expect if we live this out? It says in verses 16 and 17, And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Here we see Paul expressing his deep desire and longing that the Philippians would remain faithful to this gospel until the very end. And the boasting that he was eager for, it was not self-centered. It was for the glory of God. In verse 16, Paul is essentially saying this, My ministry to you, Philippians, everything that I have done for you is validated by you doing this very thing, working out your salvation holding on firmly to the hope of the gospel. Paul's words in verse 17 express his willingness to do anything and everything to see that the Philippians remained faithful. He was willing to pour out his life, both literally, figuratively as well as literally in his own martyrdom, to see that the church was built up. And we may wonder, how could someone say such things like this in this verse? Because of this truth, that the joy in working out our salvation is worth it. There's joy to be had. The joy we will experience when we take Paul's words to heart will make it all worth it. Paul was able to rejoice and be glad because he ultimately knew what mattered most in his life. It is knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. All things considered, Paul's present circumstances were less than ideal. He was in a prison, and he had every reason to grumble, didn't he? Paul felt the consequences, the weight of a warped and crooked generation on a daily basis. Yet he was able to hold on to the reality that it was all going to be worth it. Even if it meant death for Paul, he rejoiced in pouring out his life for the sake of others. For that's exactly what Jesus did for him. Working out our salvation for the sake of shining like stars in the sky is worth it, my friends. It's worth every sacrifice, every suffering, every strange look from an unbeliever. Because Jesus is worth it. Jesus found joy in this, in his enduring the cross. The apostle Paul did as well in his suffering. And in verse 18, Paul is encouraging the Philippians as well as us to take great joy in this as well. He says, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. 
Paul, writing from a prison cell, not knowing if he will ever see the Philippians again, wrote with joy in the hope that the Philippians would continue in their obedience to grow up in their salvation. Paul is essentially saying this. He says, don't feel sorry sorry for me, Philippians. Don't feel sorry for me. I found the prize. The joy of the Lord is mine and no one can take it from me. Join me, Philippians, in this joy. Join me, faithy free, in this joy. To shine like a star in the sky is so much better. Many of you know the, the story of uh, Corey and Betsy Ten Boom. Uh, they were uh, Dutch Christians during World War II and victims of the Holocaust. And uh, I want to read an account of their story because I think it's relevant for what we're talking about today. Uh, they were taken to Ravensbrück, which was an all-women's uh, concentration camp. And uh, I want us to, yeah, I want to read this for us, paying particular attention to Betsy, Corey's older sister. In October, the women were moved to different quarters, a foul-smelling barracks with overflowing toilets and no beds, just wooden structures on which they slept, stacked three high and wedged side by side and end to end with only an occasional narrow aisle slicing through. The straw atop them was rancid and swarming with fleas. Corey was horrified, but Betsy, as usual, responded with patience. She reminded Corey of the scripture they had just read that morning. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Betsy urged Corey to join her in doing what the Bible said in that verse, even though, and perhaps especially because, it ran counter to what anyone would have wanted to do. She asked Corey to join her in thanking God for everything in the barrack, for their Bible, for the fact that they were jammed into a building designed for 400 people, but which now held 1,400, and even to thank God for the fleas. This was too much for Corey. She told her sister, Betsy, there is no way even God can make me thankful for a flea. But Betsy insisted She knew that for devout believers in Jesus, doing this was an act of purest obedience to what God said in the Bible. It was therefore an act of worship. What harm could come of obeying God and worshiping him? So Corey relented and begrudgingly thanked God for the fleas. As winter progressed, cold rains began to fall and the prisoners were forced to stand in puddles during roll call. Inevitably, the anemic Betsy weakened further. And one day, with a temperature of 104, she was sent to the hospital. But even there, she took the opportunity to tell those around her about Jesus, of his love for them, and how he wanted them to enter into a relationship with him. This is the best part. Unable to stay with her sister, Corey returned to her barracks, which over the weeks had been transformed by Betsy's loving influence. Instead of bitter cursing and fighting, the inmates now spoke gently with one another. Isn't that something? 
Betsy did eventually go back to the barracks from the hospital, and this is what Corey says about this time. She remembered this time as a deeply joyful one. Quote, In the sanctuary of God's fleas, Betsy and I ministered the word of God to all in the room. We sat beside deathbeds that became doorways of heaven. We watched women who had lost everything grow rich in hope. Betsy Ten Boom is a person who had worked out her salvation with fear and trembling. She got it. She had every reason to grumble, to argue, didn't she? Yet in obedience, purest obedience to God, she held on to the hope of Christ Jesus, her Savior. And what was the result? She was a light. She was a shining star in her barracks. Her fellow prisoners could not help but notice and be changed. What is more amazing that in the midst of this horrible suffering, she experienced the fruit of joy. She actually says this is a deeply joyful time. Can you imagine that? Jesus was worth it to her. This kind of life is on the table for us today. We can grow. God wants it for us. And he will put that in us to want it and to do it. It's his good pleasure. Let us work out our salvation so that we may shine like stars in the sky, so that we may experience his joy no matter what the circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help to do this. We come to you humble. We come to you reverent. come to you needy and dependent, Lord. We need you to accomplish this work in our lives so that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we would hold fast the word of life, that we would not be a grumbling people but a hopeful people. Because, Lord, we want the joy of the Lord in our lives. So help us to do this, Lord. Help us to do this. In Jesus' name.